Welcome to the Mead Podcast. I'm Tom, the founder of Gosnells. And I'm Will, the head brewer here at Gosnells. This is our podcast where we are going to be chatting about all things mead and booze. Uh, each week we take a, either a mead enthusiast or a mead maker and we sit them down to a bunch of questions about why they love mead. Uh, so yeah, so thanks to everyone who's spared some time for that, uh, from their busy schedules. I know everyone in the mead world is super busy at the moment. Yeah, and thanks everybody for their continued support over the last uh, God, couple of years now. So entering into the fourth season of the mead podcast. Fourth season. So thank you all for your support. And uh, Well, yeah, let's just get into it. Let's go. So, hi again. Um, as, as, as always, uh, it's Tom from Gosnells. Uh, I'm not joined by Will. We've had a bit of a, an issue in the brewery, so he's just nipped off to sort that out. But we are joined by the Brothers Drake Mead team today. Hi, guys. Thanks very much for making the time. Hi. Excellent. Oh, it's definitely our pleasure. Awesome. Do you want to just uh, go around and introduce yourselves, what you do at Brothers Drake, and maybe where you are in the States at the moment? Sure. Um, Julian, so, sorry, um, yeah, whoever wants to start. Go ahead, Julian. Go ahead. Uh, so we're located in Columbus, Ohio, um, and we are a family-owned meadery, and we make awesome honey elixir. Awesome. Awesome. What do you do there, Julian? Uh, so I'm head of production, uh, cool. so I run the uh, production facility. He should also be doing other things, but he's here. <laughs> awesome. And Sarah, guys, introduce yourselves. Tell us what you do at Brothers Drake. So uh, my name is Oren Benari. Uh, I'm one of the original founders. Um, I, uh, I pretty much stay out of everyone's way uh, at the business. So it keeps uh, moving forward and keeps, keeps doing, you know. Um, he started the mess. I, I started this mess. Uh, I, I did, uh, as, you, as you know, Tom, uh, I did everything from, uh, you know, everything to everything, so to speak. So, uh, again, right now, I'm, I'm pretty much just uh, staying out of everyone's way. Nice one. Nice one. Uh, and Sarah, what do you get up? What do you do at Brothers Drake? Um, I cleaned the bathrooms for a long time. And then I <laughs> got promoted to, like, long distance uh, online assistance. Nice. <laughs> she Ooh. does the marketing and social media aspect and labels and design and you know she's very humble fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we've got carrie joining as well hi carrie hi how are you yeah good thanks we're just doing a bit of introductions um so i'm um, just telling everyone what we all do so we're, we're on to you now well well timed um so my name is carrie um i run the meadery in the short north uh sling the mead sell the bottles do all the fun things uh partner up with julian uh, just helping out with production and just keep the business running as smoothly as we can. Awesome. Also, I see you got some drinks there, guys. What are you all drinking? Uh, I'm <laughs> on, I've got a hopped mead because it's been, a, it's actually yeah, finally the sun has come out in London. It's been raining for about six weeks now and it's finally not raining. So time to Ooh, crack what, hot mead. What time is it in London right now? It's 10 past five and- Oh, perfect. We, yeah, exactly. We, we all went out last night. So um, oh. it's, a, it's definitely been one of those days. Uh, we, were, we were doing a collaboration with a brewery called Cloudwater up in Manchester yesterday. And um, we didn't get back till late, but like that. So it's been a long day. <laughs> well, since it's past five o'clock in London, we're, we're having some uh, meat shine actually. This is a collaboration we did with uh, our other- Ourselves. Ourselves. <laughs> is a distilled mead uh, that oh, we made for San Francisco Mead Company uh, when that was still in operation. So cheers. cheers. Oh, awesome. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Yeah. Cheers. 
have water. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so maybe, guys, I don't know who wants to feel this, but maybe you could just tell me a bit more about the history of Brothers Drake and, and kind of how you started. Uh, yeah, sure, I can do that. So um, the Brothers Drake uh, actually exist. These are real people. Um, they uh, were friends of mine when we met a long time ago, around 20 years ago. Um, they made meet at home, and uh, one day, uh, one of the brothers, Woody, was like, was like, hey, uh, you, you want to get into business together and um, start doing this commercially? So uh, that's how we got started. Uh, I was really not involved at the beginning. I just was uh, an investor, but then uh, a couple years later, uh, before Mead was even known, uh, I decided to take over the business. Uh, About 10,000 BC. Uh, 10,000 BC. <laughs> Or it was known in the state of Ohio, really, um, and 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 start making mead and and uh, uh, you know making mead and selling mead. That that's really how it got started. It was a homebrew gone uh, commercial experience. Right, it's a very common story. I think most people we've spoken to have, have all had that kind of path. So that's that's really cool to hear. And how long ago was that? Did you say uh, that was about that was two thousand seven wow okay so you must be like one of the older me well not the oldest but one of the older of the new crop if that makes sense yeah we were actually the first uh, we were the first meter in the state of ohio i think we were like number 14 or 15 in the u.s yeah. um so yeah we're that's right that's right tom were you a home brewer uh, yeah, well, I used to make cider. That was kind of my background. So hard cider, which is obviously huge. Well, a lot bigger here in the, than it is in the US. Um, so I used to do a lot of that and then actually moved on to mead probably 2006, 2007. Uh, I was living in London and, you know, actually honey's quite convenient to brew with. It's all, all the sugars there. It's quite easy to do on a homebrew level as opposed to having to mill a load of apples and press them and all that kind of stuff. So uh, right. that's, that's why I changed over to mead. And then we set up the business, or so I set up the business in 2013 to 2014. So we're, yeah, we're, we're a little bit younger than you, but still got about five, six years under our belt. Oh, seven years. It, yeah, anyway, long enough under our belts now. <laughs> How did you find Will? Sorry? How did you find Will, your, your bean maker partner? Uh, so Will, Will came to us as an assistant mead maker um, about... I can't remember, he'll kill me. But about three years ago, maybe. What well, is time anymore? It kind of, the, the whole <laughs> lockdown thing has completely shifted my perspective on things. Um, and he's awesome and just really passionate. And so we kind of, kind of just moved, moved him on up through the team as, as we had some vacancies, which is cool. And so, yeah, Will's been really taking the reins and sort of pushing forward the, I guess, the, the art of the mead making. We've got our kind of core meads down, which I concentrate on selling and commercializing and paying the bills and will then um does the more interesting kind of uh brewing on the side as well to kind of push things forward which is really nice. cool yeah that, that sounds so familiar yeah julian's been making mead for like three months nice and what were you doing what were you doing before that julian uh before i was an executive chef around town i worked at a, a decent amount of uh, prestigious restaurants and uh, with the pandemic, uh, it was very comforting knowing that I could always take my knives anywhere and, and have a career. Uh, but after the pandemic, it really showed me how unstable the uh, restaurant industry was. Yeah. And and I was actually talking to Oren and Sarah about, you know, maybe investing in a little like food trailer or something. And um, we started talking and 
I, I got very intrigued by, you know, fermenting mead, fermenting honey. Um, and, and if you think about it, you know, as, as a chef, you still, similar to mead making, it's, you still get that gratification of seeing people happy from your product. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that brings joy and, and it, it's timeless. Yeah, and you get that creativity as well. That's what I find as well. It's a nice expression of, um, yeah, of being, you know, you can have an idea and you can, um, you can kind of put it into action, which is really cool. So I guess with, yeah. your, with your kind of chefing background, what, what, what kind of directions do you want to take things in? Have you got any ambitions or are you still kind of learning the ropes and seeing how it fits in? Well, I, I understand like flavor profiles. I, I think it's just understanding more of the science um, just to back my palate, you know, um, I just want really good base, really good foundation. Um, so that's what I'm focusing on. And, you know, we're getting busier. And so inevitably it's, it's you're going to learn, you know, uh, just through like sink or swim. So yeah. um, it's very similar to a kitchen, kitchen environment, you know, uh, but, but less cooks, less stress. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty relaxing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> By the Sometimes way, Julian and Carrie are married, the two of them. So. Oh, right. That makes more sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and they work in two locations because our meadery now is, our production is being moved to a new location and our bar and our tasting room is in our old location. Sure. So Carrie's mostly at the bar with sales. Julian's, well, now we're transitioning, but Julian is in production. So the two environments are still a little different. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. Carrie, how did you get into, into the meat business? What were you doing before? Um, I've been in the restaurant industry my whole life. Um, I've done serving, bartending, management, all those things. I actually stumbled into Brothers Drake, hoping just to work like a shift or two a week. I had time, I was bored. I met Sarah and we just started clicking. And the next thing you know- Hey, hey you still are. But we locked we the door. We locked the door, we wouldn't let her leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, pretty, that's also a familiar story just um, of course yeah. it is yeah yeah Which was very, one of the interesting things about Carrie and Julian is that like um, you know we we've come to a place where we're trying to step back and we were like uh, the best thing that could happen would be just we found like a better younger more capable better looking version of ourselves and then they would love it too so and then it, and it happened it's so bizarre and like they're amazing and Anyways, I hope they're having fun and they don't have to tell the truth right now. <laughs> <laughs> we have a ton of fun. It's That's good. Yeah, we do. It is good to have it, fun. I, I guess our employees love it too. Like we just create yeah. that atmosphere, you know, like e even on days where there's stress and you know what that's like, you know, you still, yeah. you just have to roll with the punches, have fun and create an environment that people get attached to and want to come back to. Yeah, I think that's it. I think one of the things we always say is that, uh, probably not that politically correct but like we're not curing cancer right so it's not as if anything we do is that uh kind of important not important that's not the right way of putting it but like if when things go wrong if having a bit of perspective about what it is that's gone wrong as opposed to you know no one's um yeah it's just it's just yeah, things, you just right? gotta learn from it troubleshoot exactly. keep it moving yeah and so go, how many how many people work uh brothers drake now how big's the team uh it is Me, julian <laughs> you're uh, pretty much at it brilliant i mean we, we are uh we're five or six i've probably forgotten someone six yeah. i think six yeah uh, six of us so um, we're not much bigger either but i guess yeah. um, you've, you've been going a little while now so uh and you've had you obviously like what won loads of awards and you've got loads of achievements but what kind of what do you think if you had to pick one thing out over your time 
what is the thing you're most proud of? Not going out of business. We're still in business. Oh yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's uh, it's challenging, right? I mean, it's uh, we really are proud of the fact. Actually, the thing that actually I'm most proud of is that our business, the metery, and everything around it has kind of, and it's only been 10, 11 years since we've been at this key location and, and producing our, our product. The two, three years prior to that was just something else. But I think the thing that I'm most proud of is the fact that, I mean, kidding aside, we're still around. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is that we created something literally out of nothing. We introduced a product that didn't exist anywhere into the marketplace and we are, and it's real. It's not bullshit. You know, it's not like we, yeah. it's not, well, we don't that like, we don't even advertise, right? We don't, we have our philosophy of doing business um, and how we approach things and how we do things is so real to the point of maybe a little silly, but it's just uh, legitimate. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's legitimate. It's real. It's, it's, you know, we don't operate with that. We, didn't go and take big loans we you know when we have enough money we buy another piece of equipment or upgrade our equipment that that's what i'm most proud of it's it's real it's yeah. you know product is good i mean we're getting better with julian we're getting a lot better thanks julian people are drinking our product like it's going out of style i mean and that's amazing right i mean <laughs> and that they keep coming back i mean We've had people that were there the day that we opened and they come in two, three times a week. I know that's what I'm proud of, or people will come in, they've never been there before. And then I start seeing them on a regular basis. And I think that's amazing that people are that committed and attached to us and that we're creating an environment that people really support and love and are passionate about just like we're passionate too. Yeah, so I mean, Will was, Will, Will was telling me about some of your tasting sessions and they seem like really fun and engaging. Maybe you could just tell me a bit more about that and about how you kind of talk about the products. Um, so we used to do pre-COVID, um, our tour is a little different. It would get to come in the back and see the facility and learn all the dorky things and get the whole experience. Um, now when we do our tours, they're more of just like a self-guided tasting. Sure. So they get a flight with five different of our varieties on it. Um, Julian usually comes in and talks to people, but we, we still try to give them, you know, like some history and tell them about how we go through our process and um, I know my goal when I'm doing these tastings is for people to be honest with me. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. And let's find the sweet spot because everyone tastes things a little differently. Yeah. So what I think is sweet, you might think is on the dry side. I don't know. Um, that's the part that I really love is I, I want you to leave saying, God, I love this. Not just saying like, eh, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we'll keep trying things until we find that. Exactly place where it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, I think it's um, it's very intimate with our tastings and and it it feels real you know it, it is like Oren said legitimate and little things that that go a long way when I take like my readings and measure my meat out of the fermenter I'll bring that in instead of just wasting it and then I let regulars and people that have never had me try young mead that is still raw and unfiltered or test batches that I'm working on to get their feedback um, it's just that intimacy that that a lot of big places or even small places don't take the time. You know, we're, we're just normal people trying to do good things. And I think it really shows. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like, and I think it's that connection with the customer. I think like if you can, you know, get that feedback in real time, it obviously helps you get the product better. But you can communicate it as well, and you can just yeah. kind of explain what's going on. I do think that Mead does need obviously the communication bit and the explanation, because otherwise it, it doesn't really land. Um, that's something I agree. we work on a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100. And and I, I think it makes it a little easier with like my my food background that you know, somebody that I, I can give them pairings and I can suggest what this goes with so that it can be drank as, a, as an accompaniment in a dinner instead of just out of a horn, you know? Um, yeah. It, it, it is more approachable than people think. And I think that is very important to just make sure that their, their guard is down and they feel comfortable. And, you know, it, it's just me. Um, I think a lot of people are intimidated because they don't know it. They much rather go grab a huge like Anheuser-Busch beer because they know yeah. it's good and, and they, they train themselves to have that brand loyalty when that's what we're trying to do but in a different way with knowledge and love and care. Yeah and I think so one of the things that we always love to do is uh, and it's really basic but just giving people a little taste of the honey the mead's made out and yeah. like pairing, pairing the two and just being able to say look that's what you're tasting this is where all the flavors come from that's why it tastes like this. And I think that just completely opens up people's minds. Uh, we do a lot yeah. of in-store in tastings like that. Well, or we did before COVID, as with everything. Uh, and yeah, it's yeah. a really powerful kind of technique. So then just talking about honey, I, I kind of see you use loads of Ohio honey. Um, is that only for your specialty meads or do you, do you use it in the core range? How do you sort of choose a honey? Uh, tell me a bit more about well, that. What, what I'm going to say too, I was going to say it earlier. What I'm really proud of too is that we stuck to our principles of only buying local honey yeah. we only purchase honey from ohio and the price varies the price goes up and down and 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 you know it was never never even a consideration to go buy honey outside of ohio this is something that from the very beginning you know before local was even cool you know um yeah. we we were very very um we stuck to this and and so really in ohio we only buy we only buy ohio honey one variety that we have a supplier for years that we work with him and we that that's our base that that's the honey that we use for our base and do you see much variation like seasons to season i mean is he uh, is it all sourced from the same kind of place or is he moving the bees around the state and you get different things at different times of year or is it pretty consistent so, it's pretty consistent. It's Northwest Ohio. These are stationary bees. Um, we usually get the spring honey, um, but no, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. From time to time, we will have you know a drier season, a wetter season, right? So you're you're, you're finding different uh, um, um, not humidity levels, but uh, what do you call it? Oh um, uh, yeah, it's different sugar kind of content. Versus yeah, versus, I mean, yeah. but yeah. you know, and then you adjust. So the flavor might change a little bit, but again, we are, as uh, Julian said, you know, we're not on Bush. We don't. Our pro, our so the key thing about our mead making is that our process. I always tell people there are three things about making mead, and really only three things. And one is use the highest quality ingredients. So yeah. we pretty much try and buy the most local and organic, highest quality ingredients mm -hmm. we can find. The second one literally is to not screw it up. I mean, really, I mean, yeah. this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's staying really clean and this is our process. So our process allows us 
to make a consistent, high quality product. The third thing is time, right? The longer yeah. it ages, the better it gets. But, um, but that's really what it comes down to. So when we have variation in the honey, that's where tastemakers like Julian and his vast experience come into play to kind of really define and create the flavor on top of the honey. Um, or, for example, Julian, you want to talk about the, the mead you just tried with the oaken and the vanilla? You, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I did a, a bench test of just a traditional wildflower um, wildflower honey, and I put uh, Madagascar vanilla beans, and yep. I used French oak. Not local. Not local. No, but the best quality we can get, right? Um, and, and that's... Just the, the flavor profile, the mouthfeel of, of just fermenting with oak was completely different than a traditional mead we've had. And the, the French oak, which has those natural vanilla characteristics, really elevated the vanilla bean. Uh, in, so, in so, so you're using French oak, not American oak. And we're using staves yeah. or is it in a barrel or? I'm using beans for the bench test, um, just like the French beans that come, um, just so I can see how it works, how, how the fermentation process is holding up, um, it really changes the mouthfeel. Uh, it coats your palate a little different. And this is before it's, it's filtered or anything yet, you know, um, but it's just little things that I could really elevate just the traditional honey, uh, traditional mead even, you know, for a good base, whether it's a chocolate mead or, you know, it just, it, it's, it's just like cooking what, with the flavors and blending and, um, yeah, it's just simple, right? They just wanted to taste good, and yeah. So, can you just tell me a bit more about? Do you have a? I mean, about your core range, about one of your. Like, what's your What's your most popular seller, if you have one, and like? Oh you know, yeah. What, what well, do people return popular, to time after time? Uh, our, our most popular seller is the apple pie. Uh, so that's a, um, a pretty big operation. <laughs> uh, our our friend Anthony has the apple press, and he'll pr bring about like um, twelve hundred gallons of Ohio pressed apples. And then we'll pump in about 5,000 pounds of honey into the fermenter and mix it in line. We spice it uh, during fermentation and then uh, after as well. Um, so that we used to do seasonal. Uh, so it's a sizer. Yeah. Um, but that one just, we, it just flies off the shelves no matter what, what season it is. What, what, what kind of ABV are you, are you bringing that one to? What is, what is uh, that 13% alcohol. Yeah. Yep. yeah so that's what. And on the sweeter side, is it like? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 People, so you know, people talk dry but drink sweet. What do yeah, you mean? As in, people always say they want dry things, but they end up. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. like, oh, I don't like yeah. sweet stuff. Oh, I love apple pie. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then that's that's the issue. Just like with with being a chef, right? You want you want to go to what you know solid flavors are, and you know it's an incredible experience, a great mouthfeel, but if it's not what the people want. You have you have to listen to your your your, your customers, your clientele, your your demographic. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's an important. That's why this this blueberry chai turned out really nice. Um, Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. So we did a really nice floral blueberry mead. Uh, so mellow mel, and then we just added um, like our own chai starter, cardamom pods, um, anise, clove, cinnamon, and and it's slightly sweet, like a semi sweet, slightly sweeter, but. Um, the spice and the sweetness really balance out. I think if it would have been drier, the spice would have been overwhelming, right? Um, so I, I give that when I'm at the tap room and somebody tries apple pie because they've heard of it and they don't like it, 
I still give them a sweet mead, but it's, it's more balanced, right? It's just a little bit more complex flavor profile. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is great. I love dry. And I'm like, it's not dry, but, not dry, yeah. but okay. yeah, I, I think, I think the best mead that I've tried uh, was one that Oren made. Uh, it was uh, orange blossom honey. So when he was in California, uh, he used a, he did a traditional orange blossom um, mead and then he aged it in Chardonnay barrels. And that mm. was incredible. Um, and that was, it was dry, incredible. Yeah, um, that was probably one of the best means I've had. Um, so I, I, I think it's you can still do a dry mead. You just have to maybe manipulate it a little bit more to. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. So we've been playing. Me, I mean, me, I, I, same as you guys. Like mead in in the UK is kind of not that familiar for people. It's a, a you know relatively new thing. So we're we just opened our tap room and we're just trying to work out you know, how we do that education piece. And one of the things we're doing is, is essentially trying to not clone other drinks, but, but sort of say, you know, if you're a white wine drinker, this is what you'll gravitate towards. If you're, you know, want a rosé, this is where you'll go. You know, if you're in the mood for a lager, go here. And so, yeah, we've been playing with some drier um, Chardonnay style. Yeah. Meads as well. Like but you know, yeah. Tom, that's interesting that you, that you say that because, you know, I've gone between the two sides a lot because our apple pie, for example, there's nothing like this out there. And it no. was a, it, there's just nothing. And you can't compare it to anything. There's nothing like this out there. And really, this is a recipe that the brothers have made for years in their basement. And it wasn't that good. Obviously, we got production equipment and, and improved it over the years. But it's it's nothing, it's not like anything else. And that is in my mind, when you like something, I don't, you know, it, you take a risk. It's like a leap, yeah. right? It's, it's pioneering. It's a leap. But when you hit it and it's good, it doesn't need to be like a dry Chardonnay. Or it, it, and, and, and those happen. And those are the greatest, in my opinion. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, um, or the bourbon barrel, like we have a friend who next door, there's a distillery, a friend of mine runs the distillery and he's like, Hey, what if you put this apple pie in, in my bourbon barrels? I'm like, sounds delicious. Yeah. Let's try Right. So we did that. And every year we have doubled and doubled and doubled and doubled because it just flies off the shelves and it's like nothing ever. It's like nothing else, you know? So I think that's something that our company has done over the years is when we started, we were like, we were a we were kind of like, how do we define ourselves? Even though this drink is one of the oldest theoretically in the world, you know, how do we present it to a market that has all the baggage of capitalism, et cetera. And then over the over time, I think we've just become confident to be like, check, check yourself at the door, come in and have an experience that's, that's truly authentic. And I think that that above all else is what keeps us in business is that we, and that's why Julian and Carrie fit they're authentic. They're not afraid to be themselves. Right. We're not afraid to be ourselves anymore. And and as long as what you're giving somebody is tasty and good and you believe in it, you know what you put in it is good. That um, right. I think people really gravitate towards that because there's so much BS out there now and there's so yeah. much just like, you know, greenwashed consumers <laughs> bullshit that no one really, you know, if you don't care and you just want to get wasted in your backyard, drink whatever. But if you want to connect to what you're drinking and how you're imbibing and you want that culture businesses like ours and what they're doing now is, is are really unique and 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 they're dying because like, you know it's, it's hard to keep in business when you don't have a lot of backing 
So yeah, I, I, think, I, I, think but, sure. I think that's right. I think, I think for, for us, we just opportunity to just to just do what you do best and however you want to do it, and it's exciting. You don't have to be like every other beer or wine or product that's out there. No, I think we um, English people are still quite well. I'm just just going to go for it. They're still quite conservative. So I think there's like this. Oh, welcome uh, to the Midwest. Too. No, like, well, okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> but it's, especially in their, in their drinking, in their kind of drinking, um, yeah. you know, I think, I can't remember what the research was, but it's like, every essentially everyone's already decided before they get to the bar what they're drinking, whether that's a beer or wine or whatever. And it, then they're just choosing between brands. So like getting it, getting into that space for us, we've had to sort of think about, it's fine when we're there to obviously at the tap room to explain what it is but then if when you're relying on a third party or you know somebody else in a in an outlet to do it trying to think about how those messages kind of land we're not there yet but uh, yeah that's how we kind of yeah trying, trying to get someone else to sell on your behalf is always the hardest thing you know it's interesting because we were never successful at it ever like our sales in ohio so we we have uh distribution we only sell in ohio and online yeah. But our sales in Ohio, it has take, literally taken us 10 years to have very consistent, growing sales in the state of Ohio. And we don't, have, we don't do any sales. We have no salespeople. We don't have anything. We have a distributor. So people now are pulling these bottles off the shelves because we've been there. We've been consistent. The price point is just right, you yeah. know. And, and we have tried, Billy, we have tried to put salespeople in the message. We have always failed at that. We have decided to put the resources into the quality of the product, into the, uh, and into just the consistency people. of our people. people. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's, it's what do you want to be when you grow up, right? How fast do you want to grow this? How slow, et cetera. Yeah, I think I'm coming around to that. Obviously, I started the business when I was uh, in my mid-20s and thought I would have taken over the world by now. But uh, it's taking a bit longer than that. So we've kind of, we've flopped, not flopped, we've always been doing the session meets. And I think that's something that I'm really pleased about because for us in the UK, like getting people to, getting people onto the mead journey is much easier at four or five percent. You know, it's less of an endeavor. Um, We do, you know, we do stronger stuff up, up to like, 15 16 percent but that's more for the the real mead geeks who know what they're getting so um we're, we're kind of doing a i guess a slightly different strategy trying to just coax people into the category and then then ladder them up to make more interesting yeah um, yeah. yeah we'll see we call it the gateway with gateway mead get them hooked <laughs> and then sort of sure. them up. um so guys sorry one more one more question about um the apple pie mead we have a lot of listeners who are sort of home brewers and obviously you do a lot of sizes what kind of tips would you have if you're doing a a sizer is there anything to watch out for you know any kind of um any advice you could give people yeah make sure that your um your apple juice doesn't ferment before you start your (laughs) control fermentation that's the biggest thing that wasn't my fault so <laughs> that, that's interesting. When you bring the apples in, are you are you obviously you're using a, a, a house yeast to um, kick off the fermentation? Are you pasteurizing the apple juice first? Is it still live straight from you know how are you control yeah. the wild yeast? Or are you not? Nope, we no. don't. Nope. Nice. It's just it's just a, we we rely on Anthony to make sure that his facility is controlled so that it doesn't start to cook. Yeah. Um, so we, we put faith in people, you know? Yeah, nice. No, that's really cool. Um, 
guys, I think we, you know, we, we're kind of getting towards the end. Is there anything? We always like to open this up. Normally, you can ask Will or I any questions. I'm not so technical as well. So if you've got any questions about the technical side of things, I'll have to come back to you. But if you've got any questions for me or, or about Gosnells, love to love to answer anything. Otherwise, we'll, we'll sort of begin to ask you a few more questions and wrap it up. I don't have anything uh, right now. Car carbonated meats. So, so you, you make carbonated session meats right now? Yeah, exactly. So when we first started, it was, um, it was five and a half percent. And what we do, so we, I'm, we use pasteurization to stay, to get shelf stabilization. And so what we were doing originally was bottling the mead before it had finished the primary and then cut yeah. and then pasteurizing in bottle in like a batch pasteurizer. So it went a couple more points of um, fermentation in the bottle. You got the fears in, locked it in. Uh, it's a really neat little method to be doing at quite a small scale. And then as we've mm -hmm. grown, we now we now force carve it because we just can't get the consistency with the natural carbonation. Um, but our sort of smaller, uh, well, bigger bottles of the 75 CLs, they're all naturally carbonated and pasteurized to stop the fermentation. And they're, they're in the five and a half, six percent alcohol? Uh, yeah, so the the um, the cans are all uh, four or five and a half, just because of the way the tax laws work here. Um, and then we make stuff with like single origin honeys from the UK and sort of beyond, which are more like ten to fifteen percent. So doing something a bit more special with a honey from a single place uh, and carbonated, ten to fifteen percent carbonated. Yeah, generally carbonated. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's that, just kind of our style. Yeah. That's what I'm really interested in is 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 the carbon high alcohol carbonated meats that big flavors, big carbonation, high alcohol. I mean, yeah, you know, big and bold, you know. Yeah, they're pretty cool, and I think, I mean, they're not when when they say carbonation, they are what they're two to three volumes, so they're not super carbonated. They're like there's enough to give it some mouthful and some feel and some life, but they're not super fizzy. So I think it's just to bring some of those flavors alive and kind of just tickle, yeah, the, yeah. tickle the taste buds a little bit. It's exciting. Um, yeah. So guys, we're just getting towards the end, I guess, um, looking to the future, you, you've been in the meat industry for a while. Like, what are you excited about? What do you think is going to happen next? Where do you see it all going? I mean, you don't have to answer if you don't have an Carrie. answer. <laughs> Where are you going, Carrie? <laughs> just up and up and up, up and, and up and up. And up. up. Well, you know, um, I, yeah, go ahead, Kerry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, you know, I, I think I don't really, how do I say this? I like consistency. I like quality. I like continued controlled growth and operations. And, you know, um, we have dabbled around in uh, distilling mead and aging that in New American Oak. Cool. creating a shine product uh, that is something that i i am personally really interested in um in the future potentially um creating distilled meats and yeah. making brands um but, but the other ones are also high abv carbonated i mean there's such a big variety i think that keeping the quality really high and the market is so big and we're such a small tiny spot of the market you know mm -hmm. that we just need to make sure we keep consistent and don't screw up really <laughs> yeah just keep sort of keep plugging away and growing yeah. year on year yeah yeah just let life happen you know yeah you know uh, and is there anything like exciting or interesting that you think that's, that's happening in the mead world over there that you know perhaps people over here wouldn't have heard of more people are drinking it here like 
a lot more people are drinking it. Yeah. It's very exciting. Um, I think we're at a point where, you know, I, I always take like the, the theory where the, the doubling theory, one to two to four to eight to 16, you know, and every year it's another double. Well, I think we're at a point now where, where we reach a thousand finally after 10 years. And yeah. then we'll take another year to get to 2000 and another year to get to 4000. Right. And I think we're getting very cl- in the mead world itself. I think we're getting very close to that where it's going to start. People will want to drink more interesting things, at least in the U.S. And I yeah. think more makers are looking to different raw materials because like in California, the place is burning down and you know, it's it, grapes aren't don't do well in smoke. Like there's, there's there's gluts of grapes on the market. So for wine products, I see a lot of kind of alternative wines coming, and and you know, meaderies are bridging the gaps, and winemakers are using honey. And so I think consumers in general are are not going to be surprised when they get a different tasting wine. It's kind of like the craft beer movement only in in wine, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. To, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, guys, thanks so much for your time. It's been lovely to meet you. Um, and w- Will and I are going to attempt a, a mead road trip at some point. That's that's probably more of a dream than anything. And we'll, we'll definitely yeah, try good luck. by and, string by <laughs> and see you. Yeah, or you can just come <laughs> here. You can just come to London. Um, it, what, hopefully it might not rain all the time if you came. That'd be good. Um, but guys, you're always welcome. If you have uh, are in Europe or in London, then do do look us up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have, you have a Great. good one. Take care. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that. So hit the subscribe and like button. And follow us on all our social media. And we'll see you again next week. If you've got any questions or thoughts or just want to chat about mead and honey, then drop us an email to podcast at gosnels.co.uk. Or better still, jump on our Instagram, ask us uh, any questions that you have and watch us scramble to try to find the answer and uh, look like we know what we talked about. Or if you want to see what I look like, you can head on to the website at www.gosnels.co.uk.